Welcome to the Radio Plasma podcast, the space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com, also available on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Johan Rashivega. And today, we welcome the state representative Aaron Vega as our first interviewee on our series. Welcome, and thank you for, for accepting this invitation. Oh, well, I'm honored to, to be here, and I'm doubly honored to be the first, so that's excellent. I'm excited for uh, this project to uh, get some wings and uh, really be a voice for the community, so I thank you for doing it. So today we're going to talk about the issues that usually are not that common to talk when State Representative Aaron Vega is in front of a microphone or a camera. Usually it is all about his work, it's all about politics, it's all about this unstoppable mission of helping the community in Holyoke. But sometimes we wonder, what about Aaron Vega? <laughs> And I guess it will be a great, uh, this is a great time to talk a little bit about that because you are from Holyoke mm -hmm. and I guess many people need to know that or need to remember that. So what can you tell us about your origins mm -hmm. that uh, pretty much focus on the same area, the South Holyoke area. Well, yeah, it's interesting that when I meet with youth or meet with people in the community now in my new role uh, and show up in a shirt and tie, and I tell people, you know, that I grew up in South Holyoke, you know, I lived on Park Street, which is now Clemente Avenue, went to Morgan School, um, people look at you a little differently, right? Like, you know, then, especially if they live in that community, there's a little more of an acceptance, right? You have a little street cred. And I think it's interesting because What I was able to do, which unfortunately a lot of the youth aren't able to do, was I was able to get out of Hoyoke, go experience life, go to college, do all kinds of stuff, and then made the decision to come back. Um, I came back because I had family here. My father uh, was very involved in the community uh, for 40 plus years as a community activist. And I think that as a young person growing up around that, uh, I absorbed a lot of that, but I also pushed against it. I didn't want to be part of it. I didn't want to, you know, you know, dinner table was always talking about politics and all this other stuff and going to meetings. And I just was, I remember being a kid and saying, I'm never going to meetings when I get older. So that didn't quite work out for me, obviously. But I think it's interesting because, unfortunately, there's still a lot of divisions in, in our city. And I think that when I can just sort of talk about reality that other people are dealing with that you know growing up in those neighborhoods knowing the history of the city but also just talking about you know daily struggles just because i've got a you know a suit and tie on doesn't mean there aren't weeks where you know i'm waiting for the next paycheck or you know we're not able to go out you know i have i have uh, older daughters i have a young son so we can talk about parenting issues um you know i was a fairly young father so i can relate to a lot of the young men and women in our city that are young parents talk about those struggles and just sort of humanize the experience so And in this city, you know, right or wrong, there's something about um, the fact of being from this city. You know, I think there's, there's still uh, some deep uh, groups that are, are hesitant or reluctant against people that are, move into the city, whether they're here for five years, 10 years, 30 years, that they want to do good. There's still this sort of hesitancy. There's still something about, you know, we're not from Hoyoke. There's still a real deep, a deepness of that. And what's interesting now, obviously, if you look at the, the, the demographics of the city, you know, more and more Latinos 
are from Holyoke. You know, the, the latest two generations were pretty much born here. They weren't necessarily born in Puerto Rico. Um, there's still many migrants coming from Puerto Rico, immigrants from, from Mexico or Cuba or other places, Brazil, a small amount. But predominantly now, when you look at the Latino community, many of the young people were actually born here. Uh, so it's an interesting, interesting demographic, and it's interesting also to be Hispanic, half Hispanic, but yet uh, look very Anglo. Uh, my father was Ecuadorian. My mother was French-Canadian, Irish, with a little bit of German in there. So I call myself the original Holyoke mutt. Uh, so, but yet not speaking the language, obviously, you know, has, some, has created some barriers or some issues uh, being in the political system. And then when people find out who my dad was, and they're like, well, you grew up in South Holyoke, you're half Ecuadorian, I was like, yeah, but growing up, then moving to New Hampshire, and then I, I, Spanish wasn't needed. And I'm, I wish I was bilingual uh, and realized the importance of it and really will encourage, you know, young people to be bilingual. But, um, you know, I feel like I'm always sort of making, uh, not excuses, but making amends for not being bilingual, especially coming from Hoyoke and being half Ecuadorian. But uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to also think about when I talk to the people a little bit older than me, to talk about and understand, you know, when Steigers was downtown and talk about the, you know, quote unquote, the good old days and sort of seeing a piece of that, um, you gain a little bit of respect. You know, it's an interesting, I can say, oh, my mother worked at Steigers and she worked at Dorothy Dodds and my uncle worked at Totsies and I had a great grandmother that worked at, uh, you know, the paper paper mills and it's, it's a shared history that's in this community. I think that's what's important both in the Anglo community and the Latino community is, is this shared history. And when you mentioned that you studied at Morgan School and then after to HCC, mm-hmm. you had the opportunity to leave the city to continue studying. And actually, you got a degree in film mm-hmm. and also psychology, right? Yep. So that led to an interesting path into your professional life so i will i would like to uh, sure. to know a little bit more about all that part with the film the mm. documentaries the experience uh, with pbs ken burn yeah. and hbo yeah well I'm, i'm really lucky i mean it really um so i ended up going to a state school in new hampshire keen state and uh they had a start off as the english major I'm a horrible speller, horrible at grammar, uh, so that wasn't a very good, very good call for me. Uh, you know, at that time I was writing lots of poetry and you know wanted to be a poet, and um, but got into psychology. Actually, was very inspired by a lot of the psychology uh, text and readings and learning about that. And they had a film program there, and I said, well, "I'm going to take a film class." And it just hit me so much because suddenly something that I had looked at as not just interest and a hobby. I mean, film in my life and with my dad was something really, really important. I mean, growing up, uh, my parents were separated, so I'd go visit my dad on weekends. You know, we'd, we'd always watch old movies. You know, there was always, you know, during the weekend, you know, maybe it was a Godzilla movie or it was, you know, uh, you know, Humphrey Bogart movies or you know, film noir stuff. It was, it was, and we were always going to movies, you know, seeing Star Wars and E.T. and all that. It was always, that's what I did with my dad. So movies were, were, were very much a part of our, our entertainment life. And so taking a class, I was suddenly able to, like, make a movie. And that's, 
that's something that sounds really like you know tremendous in my life. That's different today because of technology. And it's you know not that long ago that I went to school, but long enough where you know you didn't have you know iMovie and you didn't have consumer-based cameras for two hundred dollars. You know, so it was, it was you know even just twenty years ago it was much different. So taking a film class and we were shooting Super Eight. You know, we were shooting mm-hmm. Super Eight real film. Um, and then moved up to 16 millimeter. And it wasn't until my senior year uh, in 96 when I graduated from HC that they started using video. So it was on the cutting edge of that. But suddenly it was able to tell stories. And I think that um, for me, it was where I found that artistic outlet. Um, never been, you know, huge or, you know, I mean, everyone's always degrades themselves when it comes to art, right? I've never been a good drawer. Um, Never really had enough time. I, you know, I used to be a writer. So, but film was that outlet where I suddenly like, it was creative. I could tell stories, um, and it was fantastic. And then I became a film major. And of course, parents were like, "What are you going to do with a film major in New Hampshire? You know, what are you going to what are you going to do with this?" And timing in life is so much uh, so important, and just opportunities that arise. I was in the film department working on something, and we got a call that uh, Florentine Films was looking for interns. And that's Ken Burns' company. And at the time, also, Paul Barnes, who was his editor, was teaching an editing class at, at Keene State. So I was in his editing class. So I called, got an internship my senior year working on the Thomas Jefferson documentary. And quickly realized that documentaries really spoke to me in a way that I didn't really realize. Because, uh, you know, usually young people don't watch a lot of documentaries. Again, uh, even just in the time frame of, you know, 20 years ago, I think documentaries have really exploded in the last decade or two. But um, I found that I was rekindled and really liked history. You know, and unfortunately, sort of was detracted from history in school, but found that I really liked history and telling these stories. And so I was lucky enough that they hired me before I graduated. So I never had to fill out an application. They, you know, I started a week after graduation uh, and worked on the, the documentary on Lewis and Clark. And that was just a dream job. I mean, I got to learn about the first explorers across this country, learn about Native American uh, cultures, and you know, researching, got to look at these old photographs. And it was just an amazing experience. And from there, I stayed with Ken uh, through the Jazz Film Project, which again, was like an education. I think the, the advantage of working in documentary films is not only is it the outlet, the creative outlet, and the collaboration with other artists, cinematographers, and directors, and other editors, and sound people, but you get to learn something. And I'm, you know, I think that's also why I'm interested in being state rep, but I think I owned two jazz CDs when I started the project, you know, and have like 200 by the end of the project, you know, and just being able to sit down for months, you know, syncing up interviews with Wynton Marsalis and Gary Glidden and all these people. I just got an education that, you know, people are going to college for, you know, sit there with, with Wynton Marsalis for, you know, five hours, let's listen to him tell the history of jazz. So that was a pretty amazing experience. And that allowed me after that uh, to move to New York City. And I lived in New York City for just over four years, uh, working on different projects and living that sort of independent uh, film editor lifestyle. So you're, you, know, you get a job with HBO working on something for six weeks, maybe eight weeks, maybe two months. Uh, then you're on to the next job. Thankfully, being in documentaries, usually they were a little bit longer term. Um, but usually, small, you know, usually smaller things. But I did get to work on uh, a film on Ram Dass. Uh, that was really great, Be Here Now. Uh, I got to work on a lot of different projects that I learned a lot about. It was, it was one story was funny. I, I got interviewed, and uh, this woman was working on the Spanish, a movie about the Spanish Civil War. 
And she wanted to tell the female perspective, because as we know, a lot of people volunteered from this country to go fight in this war. This was the precursor to World War II. Um, and she wanted to talk about the women that volunteered to go be nurses and truck drivers. And we talked about storytelling and how important it was to tell a story and you know how we could pull these women's characters out and what we could do and all this great stuff. Great interview. And after the interview, I actually called my dad and I was like, what was the Spanish Civil War? I had no idea what the event was. But, you know, we were talking about story and how to tell story and how to use photographs and different things we could do for recreations and stuff like that. But really had no idea what the story was. I got the job uh, and got to learn a lot about the Spanish Civil War. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. And um, after that, uh, moved back to Holyoke, actually, with my brother. Um, and there's not a lot of film work around here. So spent probably two or three more years kind of going back and forth between here and New York, which is one of the great things about this area is it's, it's not far. And by that time, technology, I was editing at home on a Mac, on a laptop, and sending cuts to the director in New York and, you know, getting notes back and have to go there, you know, once every two weeks or twice a month, you know, for a couple of days to work together. Um, so I got to work on a couple of films, uh, A Class Apart, which was the first time that Mexican-Americans argued in front of the Supreme Court. Um, and got to work on a refugee film on kids, uh, which both those films today are still getting screenings. Um, I've had a couple of local screens, and they're still relevant. I mean, talking about the Latino struggle, uh, prejudices against Latinos, um, and again, that kind of misunderstanding. You know, it was interesting about the Class Apart movie was talking about, you know, oh, don't forget, you know, Texas and most of the most of the West was part of Mexico a long time ago. Let's recognize where, where those lands came from. And then with the refugee film, obviously with the refugee issues being so prevalent today in politics and in, in social conversations, um, working on this film on these kids that are refugees from Bhutan, from China, from all these countries, Africa, um, these war-torn countries, and just seeing what these kids go through, it's heart-wrenching. And so I think when people have these conversations about immigration or refugees, they forget about the human story. And that's, that's what it was about documentaries, was telling human stories that was just so much fun. And... Um, it's definitely fueled, you know, my ability to talk about different issues at the state level and, and be concerned about different issues. And, you know, whenever I get a chance to work with kids now in different programs, uh, doing any kind of video stuff, I love giving my two cents on the editing and say, oh, well, we'll try this and try that. You know, so I, I miss it. I still I still love it. Um, I still have some friends doing some work, but uh, a little busy right now to take on any new projects. And definitely being able to be in New York and doing what you what you learn, what you studied, I think it is some sort of a dream yeah. to come true. And I believe this also gave you a great uh, view of uh, different aspects of life and your own personal experience as well. So in which point all of these experiences become part of your decision to serve? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because As I said before, like that idea that I was able to leave Holyoke and come back and, you know, the editing job got me, you know, I lived in Maine for six months working on a film on Bodie Miller, the ski racer. I worked in Texas, Austin, Texas. So it got me to some different places in this country and definitely saw different perspectives. But I think one of the things, and I loved New York City. It's an amazing city and had lots of good friends there and some great experiences. And it was a dream. I mean, everybody should get the opportunity to live in that city. It's it's. It's so invigorating and, and just so different. Um, 
not the place you want to be broke, but you know it's not much fun. You don't have any money in New York City, but uh, so that was part of it was the struggles between jobs. But I think what I was missing was community, and not so much. I wouldn't go so much say say purpose, but you know, as an editor, you'd work on a project for whatever time, you know, six weeks, six months, a year, two years with Ken Burns, and then your job's sort of done, and you've poured all your heart and soul into this to this project. And rightfully so, the director then takes it from there, right? So they're going to all the events, they're going to all, getting all the accolades, and usually if they're a good director, they give a thanks to the editor and the cinematographer. But it was like, you know, you're part of a team, you're creating a vision, um, and someone's got to take the lead, and that's the director. But I think sometimes you feel like, okay, well, you know, what am I doing for me? Not in that egotistical way, but just what am I doing, you know, in, for my community, or what am I doing? And so coming back to Hoyoke, um, was again based on family and so you know September 11th had just happened in New York City so it's kind of like you know that was a little stressful and just being tired of you know going from job to job to job for four years um coming back to Hoyoke I quickly got involved uh, with my brother at the time and obviously with my dad's guidance of getting involved in the in the arts community we put together some events and just started seeing the struggles that were going on in Hoyoke and it was the same stuff that had been going on for 30 years and I kind of had that interesting perspective of both someone who was from Hoyoke and, you know, continued to visit Hoyoke on the weekends for family and see my kids and stuff, but yet as an outsider. You know, so coming back to Hoyoke, you know, in my early 30s, looking at the architecture different, looking at the people differently, looking at I was like, this is a really beautiful place, you know, and just sort of having this sort of fresh set of eyes, even though I was born here, it was an interesting sort of paradigm of having both perspectives. Um, and it just made sense for me at the time to set up shop here in Holyoke, and I wasn't really sure what it would bring. Even at that point, I mean, there was no idea that I was going to be getting into politics. In fact, you know, my other hat was I transitioned from film into into teaching yoga. So suddenly, I'm you know, I was like, well, I can live in Holyoke, I can get a job, job, I can do this teacher training, and kind of see where it leads me. And so I did the yoga teacher training and started teaching yoga. But at that same time, started meeting people in the community, um, making some friends, quote unquote, with like, you know, some of the label like the young professionals, right? Um, Latinos and Anglos, but sort of the young people that were coming up. And I was like, there's something going on here. They're, they're really taking things, um, taking things on, taking on the issues, having these conversations. And the first thing I got involved in with, with some people like Rebecca Lisi and James Sutter uh, and my wife Deborah and Rory Casey and all these, all these people that are still involved in the city was Crush. And nothing I'd ever done. You know, I mean, I, I was not a political organizer. I mean, you know, I've always been a voter, but I was never really someone who got involved in campaigns or was that politically active. Um, but this was my first sort of thrust into political activism or community-based grouping and working. And so we started this thing called Crush. Citizens for the Revitalization and Urban Success of Hoyoke, which is why acronyms are good, because they're shorter. Um, and it was great. We had we got people involved. We did these parties with a purpose. We had people talking about economic development, the education issues before, you know, I think in the places where people weren't talking about this stuff. Um, and the most interesting thing about it was how, how much of an impact it had 
on the system, if you will, the institution of Hoyok, right? Quote, unquote, old Hoyok, if you want to label it, whatever you want to label it, right? But that this group of young people were challenging the system, were having conversations, were, were organizing people to, to talk about the issues and to, to have entertainment, to have block parties and to share music and share ideas. It really shook the system up. And if we actually accomplished half of what people said we were able to do, we would have been amazing. I mean, you know, we were, you know, people said we were the ones that, you know, got Alex Morrison to, to be mayor. We're the ones that did this. Well, it's like nothing could be further from the truth, except in fact that it got people thinking about things. So, you know, did it help young people get in ele- elected office, help people get involved? Probably. You know, did it have a change on people that were on commissions and boards? You know, probably because more people were getting involved. So, you know, there was a big impact. Um, you know, Celebrate Hoyok is back. That's great. But, you know, Crush did the Hoyok block party three years in a row, and it kind of rekindled that, you know, ability to have a big block party. So, you know, I think there's some places to take small credit. And then I ran for Hoyok City Council as an at-large counselor. And uh, I remember my dad saying, I don't know if being my son's going to help or hurt you. And definitely depending on which circles we were in, it was good or bad. Uh, but I won. And, and I think it was partly because people could see I was passionate about it. I worked hard in the campaign, you know, door knocking, getting out there. But also I think my message at that point was, you know, quote-unquote, a new voice for Hoyok, which I found out Peter Tallman used 30 years ago. So not exactly original campaign slogan, but what it meant to me was someone who, you know, is running a business. At that point, my wife, Deborah and I had opened up Vega Yoga, so we were, you know, we were committed to running a business in Hoyok. You know, we were, we were settling in Hoyok. We were going to buy a home in Hoyok. But someone who was, you know, not a lawyer, someone who wasn't a career politician, you know, I think that just everyday citizens should get involved on boards and volunteer and run for office because just running for office and learning about the issues is so empowering. And I just kind of came with with that perspective of like, I'm going to listen to both sides of the issue. Um, You know, I'm not a career politician. This is something new to me, but I I care about my city. Um, And I think that just resonated with a lot of people. And if you look back, I would say the timing because, you know, people like, Tim Purrington, Rebecca Lisi, myself getting elected, Brenna Murphy, another young person getting elected, and then obviously Alex Morris becoming mayor. I mean, there was this sort of shift in the city. Um, And, you know, my brother Jesse would say, you know, there's some... There's some legacy to it in some ways from, from my dad. I mean, obviously, my dad being as involved as he was in his, com- in his community for 40-plus years, being a rebel rouser uh, with certain mayors and, you know, being confidants to other mayors. And, you know, he could never win an election in this city, but the fact that his son could, you know, again, first-generation immigrant, you know, the, you know, he failed the first grade. I mean, just that whole story was like kind of like bigger than me. And it just sort of, you know, I guess, you know, had some poetic justice that I, that I won. And after serving two terms, I just, again, nothing that I would never have planned it, but the idea of running for state rep, because everything was just changing at that time. And our state rep, my predecessor, you know, had been the state rep for 12 years, not a bad person in any way, shape or form, but just I felt wasn't connected to what was going on in the city, you know. And I can see why now being a state rep, but he was, you know, a little more in Boston, but just, you know, wasn't involved coming to the crush things, wasn't sort of there on, on the ground. Um, and for me at the time, challenging him was easy because it was off time. So I wouldn't have lost my city council seat. 
you know, if I lost. And it really was just about having that conversation. I mean, that's what I've you know, been doing, you know, through Crush and then as a city councilor, having community conversations, having groups come together and have these talks. And that's what it really was about. Um, but as it all played out and he dropped out and other people challenged me, I won. And uh, here I am today going into my third term unchallenged. So I think most people think I'm doing a pretty good job. And it's interesting. It comes back to that ability for me to still learn about a lot of things. Um, you know, some things that most people find very boring, like healthcare financing and zoning laws, which, you know, but also have an impact on education, economic development, mental health uh, support systems. So it's actually, you know, I joke that almost every issue that comes at the state level, unless it deals with like lobstermen, fishing, and seawalls, it deals with Holyoke, right? I mean, you know, all the big issues. I have a, I have one of the last community hospitals. I have one of the two soldiers' homes. I have a community college. I mean, you know, obviously our community, all the different services. So almost every issue out there ties back to Holyoke. So it's it's such a such an interesting time to to be representing the state of Holyoke as we're in this sort of rebirth, revitalization, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's just an honor to be part of it. And with all this process of evolution and getting involved with community and keep learning through all this all this process and this life. There is something that many people know and see is that you are always working, that you are always there. And that brings me the question of how do you keep the balance between being state representative and being a Holyoke citizen, mm -hmm. being Mm -hmm. a family member, a father, a husband. How is that balance? Because it, it seems so overwhelming at some points. How much work do you do? And still you keep in balance that personal and family time that is equally important. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And, and usually, you know, when, when, when I go and speak at schools and people talk, what's the biggest challenge? That's usually what I bring up is, you know, the demands on time. You know, first and foremost, you know, I couldn't do this without my wife, Deborah. I mean, she's so supportive. Um, she gets it. She she enjoys it. She's also, you know, the best um, person to have, you know, when it comes to going to events and stuff like that. So she knows how to play the political game. She's a theater theater person. Uh, she's a dancer. Uh, so she, she's like big theater to her. You know, we get dressed up and go to events sometimes. So she's great at that. Um, but it is a balancing act. And um, it's interesting because... You know, one of the one of the main reasons why my dad and mom, you know, split up when I was like three years old was because he was never around. You know, so he was always at meetings, always doing community stuff. And, you know, I think the perception could have been, especially for my mom, was that everything else mattered more than me and my mom at that point. And he was young, you know, 22 years old, very idealistic, um, very politically engaged, you know, very charged time, you know, 19, early 70s, you know, he'd come from working on tobacco fields and, you know, with the Puerto Ricans and was very energized by, you know, the Chicago 7 and all, just all the stuff going on in politics in the late 60s and in the country. So I sort of keep that at the back of my mind of like, you know, I need to make sure I'm still home, you know, make sure that I'm still there, uh, especially for my son, who's going to be three, and, and to support Deborah. She's just as busy, though. I think what's what makes it a little interesting or a little bit easier for me is she's just as busy, right? So she teaches at a couple of different schools, and she's you know putting on performances, so she's equally busy. Um, so that's that's sometimes helpful. Be like, well, you're not going to be home till late. I'm not going to be home till late either. So we got to get a babysitter. Um, 
But it is, I think I'm lucky that for a lot of the things, you know, ever since Odin was born, uh, he comes to a lot of events. So, again, people love that, and it's just who I am. So I'll be up giving speeches sometimes or giving citations and have Odin in one hand and the citation in the other. That's who I am. That's what I bring to the table. I think people really appreciate that. I get compliments on that all the time, how well-behaved he is, but how, you know, associated he is with, within the community, um, really becoming a member of it. So I think that's one way that I try to balance it out. And, and that's the reality is that people want to see you at events. You know, people want to see you at the discussions. People want to see you at things um, and, and hear what you have to say about things. So I, you know, I'm, I'm glad to do that. But it's, it is a continual balance. I mean, you know, every Sunday, Deborah and I take about an hour and a half to do schedule for one or two weeks, you know, to coordinate who's dropping old enough, who's picking them up, when my mom's going to come, when do we need to get babysitter, who's doing an event. And there are times, you know, there are definitely times where I just feel like Ugh, I don't want to go out. And sometimes you're able to sort of say, you know, I need to take a take a day off. Uh, you know, it's always good when the, when Odin's sick and be like, oh, sorry, I can't go out tonight. I've got to stay home with with the boys. So that's always a good excuse. Um, and people understand. You know, people understand. Uh, so it is a continual balance because for me to do my job, you know, it's being an elected official. Being a state rep, it's you can't really describe the job because it's different every week. But the biggest part of it is being present, you know. And I think as far as you know, understanding the issues of your community, strengthening your community, you have to be present. Also, on the flip side, as far as campaigns go, you know, if you're everywhere and you have a strong voice in the community, people don't run against you. You know, I mean, that's you know, I joke that this time no one ran against me because the majority of the people in the city think I'm doing a good job. They like the way I represent them, and the group of people that don't like me, perhaps for some personal reasons, don't want the job. So it's a win-win for me. Um, but I think that it's how you balance that out. People know that that family is important to me. You know, Deborah comes to a lot of events. Odin's with me, um, but sometimes you just have to say, you know, sometimes you have to say no. And that's I think that's the key thing is not not showing up. You know, I'm not saying maybe. You know, I really make decisions. Some people I can't make, and I'm very sorry. Do you want to do? You know, we can schedule something else. Um, but it is this job. I mean, scheduling is so much of the job. You know, and it's not nine to five. Uh, every week is different. Sometimes there's you know seven thirty meetings, and sometimes there's seven o'clock night events. You know, and that's just that's just part of the job. And what's in your mind right now in terms of personal, mm -hmm. uh, professional, political? projects or goals that that are happening or born to happen mm -hmm. well on the political front i think what's interesting now is that you know the reality is that it takes that first term as a state rep to just figure it out right you know, talk about the schedule figuring out that there's there's an ebb and flow to the schedule you know throughout the year so you start to figure that out and then into the second term into the second term you start to understand the legislative process more and the rules So going to my third term, I think that I'm in a position, uh, you know, I've, I've proven to, to many uh, in Boston that I, that I work hard, that I'm not in this job for the photo op, that I'm in this job because I care about the community. You know, I don't want to, this isn't a stepping stone for me. I have no desire to go to D.C. I have no desire to, to be governor. I mean, this is, what I, this is where I want to be. I think that's important. Um, and so I think that moving into a position now of a little more leadership to allow me to get a few more things in for my district. You know, whether that means earmarks financially or getting certain things done legislatively, there's a reality to it, right? I mean, seniority, the people you meet, working up the ladder, it helps you, allows you the ability, I guess they'd call it political capital, right, to build that political capital. Um, 
So I think there's some real things that we can really get done here. And there's a lot of exciting things going on. So I think we're able to capitalize on some things. Um, so on the pr- political side, I think that's, you know, that's really important right now. That I'm in this position now to really, I think, given the synergy of what's happening in the city, given my position in Boston now, to really make some things happen. So I'm excited about, about this third term. You know, personally, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an exciting time. You know, we have a son who's three years old. It's, it's so, such a great way to, to revisit the world and see a young person uh, learn and discover things and, and just that sort of youth excitement. Uh, is great. I have older daughters, 23, 24, who are are getting their lives on their own track and figuring things out for themselves. And it's exciting to see that. So, you know, I'm just excited to sort of continue having Odin, you know, grow up and and learn. And uh, that's really exciting. And then I think it is, as we look forward on that personal level, is to really start to figure out how how to make some time you know, for, for myself and for the family. You know, vacations are important. We haven't taken many vacations, you know, here or there. We try to do stuff. So, you know, really trying to figure that out. This last summer we took a week off, which was the first time in like three years. So it's, it is sort of trying to make time because I feel like, especially being an older parent, one of the things I want to figure out being able to do, and it also involves finances, but as I look at the world now, I really want to make sure that I travel more of the world with Odin. I think that that's really, you know, the little bit of traveling that I've done, and Deborah's done a lot of traveling with theater. She was able to tour Europe through different touring companies and stuff like that to, to, to increase that perspective. That's the biggest challenge that kids in Hoyle have is their perspective is so small, so limited due to poverty issues, due to traumatic issues, due to myriad of issues. If I can sort of instill, you know, in Odin as he grows up, that there's a big world out there and lots of opportunity. Um, and, you know, not so much you can do whatever you want, but you can. You can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want you know, if you set your goals and you, and, you, and you work hard at it. So that's something I really want to make sure I focus on is being able to travel with him. I, I didn't really have that as a kid growing up, um, you know, a few trips here or there, but nothing big. Um, so I think that that's really important for me to, to sort of, see this world myself before I'm gone. You know, hopefully got a couple, a couple, hopefully 30, 40 more good years uh, left. But, you know, being a little bit older gives you a different perspective on things and having a young kid. I think that's the one thing I really want to look at, you know, seeing the world. Um, I'm getting the chance to go to Israel in December this year, uh, which is exciting. Um, uh, not with Deborah Odin, but again, from my own personal experience, I, I'm feeling that I'm needing that sort of to recharge the batteries. You know, we all need those sort of experiences to come back, put things in perspective, and get recharged. So it is it's that continued balance, but I think, you know, politically, hoping to be able to get some things done. Uh, you know, my goal has always been to be state rep for 10 years, so I'm entering years, uh, entering years uh, five and six, so in that halfway point, uh, and, you know, making sure that I still, you know, set myself up for, as Odin gets older, to sort of see the world. Definitely, this is a never-ending process of learning mm-hmm. and gathering those experiences towards giving back. Yeah. And that is something that pretty much defines the everyday activities for, for you, at, at least from the perspective we, we, we see as, as a community. And we thank you for that. Thank you. I, th- I think it's interesting talking with you. I think that that really came through. Like, you know, it didn't come to this with an agenda, but I think that is that continued learning. 
And that's why I'm a big proponent of education, obviously, but that's not where it stops. You know, it, you want to have jobs that you learn. You want to have friends that push you to learn. You want to, you know, travel and learn. I think that's, that, that is becoming very important. And then it seems to have been a theme in our discussion. Well, this is uh, State Representative Aaron Vega, and this is all the time we have uh, for today's conversation. But definitely something that tells a lot about who is representing Holyoke in Boston and definitely is our crusader. <laughs> and definitely a wonderful father, uh, a great person. And I thank you for, for this time and this opportunity to know more about, about your life and for all the work you do for Holyoke. Thank you. Well, this is the Radio Plasma podcast. This episode was produced at the Plasma Media Lab at the Gander Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Massachusetts. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashi Vega. Thank you for listening.